Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday 21st of March, Tom O'Toole taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Tom looks at the character of God. Tom is one of the leaders at Christchurch Manchester and also runs the Broadcast Network, an online resource for church planters. Let's take a listen to the session. It's time to move on now into our second session of the morning, uh, which is all about God's character. So uh, we're going to... Um, we're going to take Exodus uh, as finished, but any questions you have, feel free to still put them in the chat. If there's time at the end, we'll uh, come on to whatever questions there were, uh, and we're going to move on. So let me uh, just start by giving you a quote from A.W. Tozer. You should see this at the top of your handout as well. You might want to bring uh, your, your new handout up for the character of God. But he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So what do we think of God? When, when we hear that word God, what comes to mind? So I'm going to get you to just reflect again. Um, but the question this time is just, if a friend says to you, so what is God like? How would you answer them? Cool. So that's just a little thought exercise to get you started. I don't know how easy or hard you found it. Um, Andy, how did you get on with it? Yeah, I I think for me... Easy or hard? Oh, uh, yeah, harder than I thought, actually, because there's kind of so much stuff to go on, really. Yeah, you you kind of get like, ah, a million and one things I want to say, but summarizing it's difficult, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, for for a couple of reasons. It's hard because of the quantity of stuff you want to say. It's sometimes hard as well because it feels like the things that you say don't quite do enough justice to what you're trying to express like mm-hmm. our words don't don't fully get it in fact it's not just describing god that's difficult actually describing anyone can be difficult um what i'm going to get you to do andy is not give you the answers to what is god like i'm going to give you a totally different question to do on the fly so imagine a friend says andy so what are you like uh <laughs> <laughs> um... yeah uh, oh God, uh <laughs> i'm I, I don't know i'd be a bit embarrassed really i yeah. kind of i don't want to be well yeah i i, I don't know I, I, all right let me let me make it easier for you then take i'll take go. away the embarrassment because um, we dealt with that tell us what elizabeth your wife is like um well she's a good mother she's mm. committed she's kind She's generous. Um, yeah, she's tired right now because we have a five-week-old baby and keeps her up at yeah. night. Mm-hmm. 
yeah that's a few things yeah, yeah cool so so just by asking andy to do that you can see there are various uh various things that that he's using uh, in order to make his description so um w one of the ways that that he did it was by going to like names or, or titles so for instance uh she's a good mother now by saying the word mother that's painted a picture that we all know what that is so we can by hearing that title for elizabeth we can get a picture of, of what she's like also uh sh you share various attributes about her or uh, characteristics that are true of her that again is a way of describing her uh, another way that sometimes people uh, might describe themselves or someone else's is by a comparison or a metaphor so if i describe somebody as a hothead for instance you wouldn't think oh that person has a really hot head you think okay this is showing that uh, they've got a temper that's likely to flare up you, you you're taking a metaphor as well when we're describing a person these are some of the things that we might want to use and when we're describing god we can again look to all three of these uh, ways of describing him so we can look at uh, comparisons or metaphors and in the bible there are loads of different metaphors that are given for god we can also look at some of the names of god that scripture gives us and look at the attributes of God and we will do all three so uh, just quickly um, I'm going to run through some of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe God so it, it describes him as a lion an eagle a lamb a hen the sun a morning star a light a torch a fire a fountain a rock a hiding place a tower a shadow a shield and a temple and then there are some that are more like human-based metaphors, like he's a bridegroom, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a judge, he's a king, he's a man of war, he's a builder and maker, he's a shepherd, he's a physician. And there are loads more that we could go on. Uh, and these things aren't telling us that God is that thing. It's saying there's some quality of that thing that God shares. So by thinking of this thing, it will help point you in the direction of getting an understanding of what god is like uh, i remember once i was um, chatting with a, a work colleague who was uh, a muslim and she was asking me about like what what i thought of god and what he was like and what his character was and, I, and without realizing it i'd um, I, I used the cliche oh yeah yeah god is a, a consuming fire i said that that's a phrase from the bible and she's like oh you worship a fire i was like no but there's something about the quality of a fire and the way it, it's consumes that that is similar to god's holiness so now uh, so these metaphors uh just start to to lean us in a direction and paint a picture in our mind of something of god but also the bible has lots of names for god so uh, we have already talked about uh, yahweh so we looked at uh, this name god reveals i am who i am but at various points in the bible we see other names revealed so uh, we see a uh, yahweh will provide or you, you might know this one as uh, jehovah jireh so god our provider yahweh your healer jehovah rapha yahweh my banner yahweh who sanctifies you yahweh is peace yahweh my shepherd yahweh our righteousness yahweh is there the most high yahweh of hosts the rock that is higher than i the God of Israel. These are all titles and names that are given to God in the Bible. And 
These are more vivid maybe than the metaphors. I mean, there's a sense that by being given these things as names and titles, it really strengthens uh, the impression of it. Like, uh, if I give you an example on a human level, when, when Jesus renamed Simon as Peter, literally meaning the rock, you know, he could have been like, Simon, I really appreciate how reliable you are, mate. But he's like, no, from now on, you will be called Peter. You are the rock. There's something just about the language of the names that is so vivid. But usually when people talk about the character of God, the place they tend to go to is the attributes of God. And, and that's where we left off in Exodus. In those verses we read, and God was revealing something of his attributes so uh, he talks about how he's a god merciful how he's a god who's gracious and slow to anger and so on these are attributes of god and the idea of this second session of school of theology uh, is to do systematics and systematics is basically where we take what the whole bible has to say uh, and we bring it together so as well as these attributes in exodus there are attributes in loads and loads of other parts of the bible so we can bring them together and we can form a list of different attributes of God. And uh, the number of attributes on the list, it kind of depends how, how you categorize them. There are some where uh, they're similar and they overlap. Uh, but I'm going to share with you the list uh, that Wayne Grudem put together in his book, Systematic Theology. I think it's quite a good, thorough list. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to run through a list. I think there are 25 of them on this list. And uh, I'm going to tell you now what the exercise I get you to do uh, after I've been through them will be. So you can start maybe thinking about it as I'm talking about them. Uh, you'll see on your handouts that there is a table um, with a list of these attributes. So as I just talk through what they are, just start thinking about where in the Bible would I look to show that this is an attribute of God. And then think about to what extent, if any, you can see the same attribute in your own life so some of them you might think yeah i can see that to to a fair extent others you might say no i don't really uh, see that um in my life so just start thinking about those two things i'll give you a bit of time to do that and uh, more thoroughly after i've run through what what these things mean so uh, the first one is independence or, or you could say aseity and what this attribute is telling us is that god does not need us and he doesn't need the rest of creation for anything yet we can still glorify him and bring him joy. So uh, a big question that people ask is, why did God make anything in the first place? And this attribute would tell us, well, it's not because he needed anything from creation. He did it as an overflow of his already existing joy. The second attribute on the list is God's unchangeableness, uh, or you could call it immutability, uh, sometimes it's known as. And this tells us that God is unchanging in his being, perfections purposes and promises yet god acts and feels emotions and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations now in a little while i just want to go more more deeply into this idea of does god change and can god change and can god change his mind and we'll come back to that but uh, this unchangeableness as an attribute of god third one is eternity so god has no beginning uh, end or succession of moments in his own being he sees all of time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and he acts in time. So if you imagine like a timeline, so we exist at a certain point on the timeline, we're moving along it, so the future is unknown to us, the past is done. It's not even thinking 
like God can jump about the timeline. Imagine him completely removed from time. That's what God's eternity is saying. Fourth one is God's omnipresence. So uh, God does not have size or spatial dimensions. He's present at every point of space with his whole being, and yet he acts differently in different places. Now, this is a fun one for me at the moment because I have a three-year-old daughter who's just discovered that God is everywhere, and she loves asking questions like, hey, if God is everywhere, is he on my head? If God is everywhere, is he in the back? Is God on the roof? And of course the answer is yes, 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 he is. Um, but God is omnipresent. A fifth one then, uh, God's unity, or you could call it God's simplicity. So God is not divided up into parts, uh, yet we can see different attributes of God emphasised at different times. So it's not like God's got multiple personalities and like we'll engage with God and it's like, oh, this is the wrath bit of God and that is the love bit of God. No, God is God and in everything he is who he is. Sixth one is God's spirituality. So God exists in a being that's not made of matter, has no parts or dimensions, and is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses. Uh, and, and it's more excellent than any other kind of existence. So in, in John, where, uh, where it says God is spirit uh, and looks for those who will worship in spirit and truth, that's what this one is about. Seventh is God's invisibility. God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows himself to us through visible, created things. Then there's God's knowledge uh, or omniscience. He knows everything. So God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple eternal act. So not only does he know everything there is to know, he also knows everything that might conceivably be. So if this happened, God knows how it would play out. And if that happened, God knows what it would lead to. God knows all things. Next one is God's wisdom. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Then there's God's truthfulness and faithfulness. So he is the true God and all knowledge and words and both... <coughs> he's a true god all knowledge and words that he says are true and he is the final standard of truth then number 11 god's goodness god is the final standard of good and all that god is and does is worthy of approval what this is saying basically is don't try and have some other standard that you judge god by and say oh this is what it would mean to really be good does god match up no our standard of what is good and what is right comes from who God is. Then there's God's love, and God's love means that he eternally gives of himself to others. And this can be the case because he's Trinity, because he's always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's always been giving of himself within the Trinity, and then in creation, he continues to give of himself. There's God's mercy grace and patience these are linked so god's mercy is his goodness shown to those in misery or distress his grace is his goodness shown to those who deserve only punishment and his patience is his goodness in withholding punishment to those who sin over a period of time then we've got god's holiness now god's holiness is that he's separated from sin and he's devoted to his own Honor. We talked about it earlier when Moses had to take off his sandals as he approached the burning bush. That's because God is holy. Then there's the, the order or peace 
of God. So in God's being and actions, he's separate from all confusion and disorder, yet he's continually active in innumerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. I don't know if you've seen Bruce Almighty uh, when Bruce gets to be God and he just gets so overwhelmed by how much there is to do and he can't handle it all. Well, this tells us that God can. God is acting in many ways at the same time, and yet there's a consistency and it's all working out his same purpose. Um, God's righteousness or justice, God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. God's jealousy, so God continually seeks to protect his own honor. So God is jealous. And um, again, we, we might think, oh, that's an odd one, the idea of jealousy. Uh, but think in terms of like a relationship or a marriage, that there's a way to be jealous that's bad, but there is a way to be jealous that's good as well. You don't want to share the affection uh, of that person with someone else. You want a committed relationship with them. And God is jealous for his own honor. Excuse me. Um, and then the next one is the wrath of God. So God intensely hates all sin. Now, the wrath of God sometimes gets a bad press and people talk about it like they wouldn't want God to be wrathful. But what's the alternative? That God likes sin or that God is indifferent to sin, that God isn't actively opposed to sin. When you realize how destructive sin is, God's goodness means that when something is so bad and so wrong and so destructive, he needs to hate it intensely because that's the right response to something as abominable as sin. And then there's God's will. So this is where God approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and all creation. Basically, God's thinking things through and everything he's doing, he's doing on purpose. God's freedom is that he does whatever he pleases. Then you've got God's omnipotence, power, sovereignty. God is able to do all of his holy will. So some people with this, they ask silly questions like, can he make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? That's just playing silly word games by definitions. But what we're saying when we're saying that God is omnipotent is he can do everything that he would possibly want to do. Anything he desires to do, he's not going to come up against a I can't do that situation. God's perfection, so he completely possesses all excellent qualities and lacks no part of any qualities that would be desirable. So he's the very best he could be. You can't imagine a different way of him being that's better than how he is. God's blessedness, so he delights fully in himself and in all that reflects his character. His beauty, so he's the sum of all desirable qualities. This is kind of overlap a bit, you can see. And then finally, his glory. So God's glory is the creative brightness that surrounds the revelation of himself. We can talk about glory in a number of different senses, but often the theologians talk about this idea of like kind of the shining brightness that comes out. Moses' face shone after he met with God. And people talk about God's glory in that sense when they're listing his attributes. So uh, here's what I want you to do. We've got about six more minutes till we take our next break. So you can use that time to do this exercise. Uh, but just for each of those, just note down, okay, where in the Bible would I go to find this? And then um, just to what extent can you see it in your own life? And then maybe uh, just think about, well, okay, which of them did you see most clearly in your own life? And which did you see least 
clearly. So yeah, we'll give you about five minutes, then we'll, we'll bring it back. We'll just kind of chat about what we made of that and then we'll go to our next break. Uh, I see somebody's asking about what book this list of attributes is from. Uh, it's from uh, Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, and um, there's a note in the further resources section uh, of the title and author and which chapters to look in. So, uh, yeah, if you want to um, delve into this in more detail, uh, that's a good place to go. Andy, just um, just briefly then, as we as we wrap this up, um, just tell us two or three of these attributes that you think whether perfectly or imperfectly, probably likely imperfectly as we're, as we're human, but um, which ones do you think there's most crossover between what we see in our own life um, and God's character? Um, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, let me just have a look. You've, you've, you've caught me off guard Sorry. here, Tom. No, no, it's fine. Go on. No, no, it's fine. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, holiness. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very holy. And so is God. No, that's no, no, but I, I do think that's a good answer because um, holiness is something that we cannot have to the same level that God has. But holiness is still a characteristic that a human can possess and can grow in and an increasing measure can share with God. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a good answer. None of them would say, oh, yeah, I'm like God in it. But in, in some of them, you might say, actually, this is something that uh, to a different extent and in a different way, yeah. I see. Are, are there any that you thought just no chance, like there's, there's no parallel there? Well, omnipotence. So doing whatever I want mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing can stop me. That's yeah. just not that I don't have yes. that. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's true. But and again, like something like omnipotence that you can grow in being able to do more things and growing in your capacity to do stuff, but you can't hit the ceiling that God hits. There are some like, um, uh, some of the first ones like um, independence. So uh, God needs no one or nothing else for anything. Well, we, we can never have that. We're completely dependent upon God for, for everything. Um, and what you find is these attributes, if you read a theology book about them, they often split the attributes into two categories. Uh, the incommunicable attributes of God, which are things that uh, only apply to God and can't in any way be shared. And uh, the communicable attributes of God, which are things that apply to God. And then we can start to see these same things uh, mirrored in our own life. And I think uh, this can be helpful. Um, there's so many that you have gray areas on like eternity god is eternal um but then when we have eternal life in christ we're sort of eternal at least in the future sense may not be in the past sense so it's sometimes hard to say exactly which ones god can share with us and which ones we can't but you'll often find that distinction made but it, it's a worthwhile thing to start reflecting on now like at the end of the session i'll just kind of share a few thoughts about us being in god's image because starting to think about us looking like uh, what god is like in some of these things is helpful okay everyone um we'll make a start uh back i hope you got some uh some refreshments a tea or a coffee uh or got something uh, together there um 
yeah, we have a few things mentioned in here. Um, not sure what you had, but uh, yeah, uh, a few questions about those books, Tom. So I think the book uh, that Tom mentioned was Systematic Theology, someone has asked there. Again, uh, that's in the, the further resources at the end of the handouts. Uh, if you haven't got the handouts in front of you, I, I emailed them uh, last night. So so all the references um, are in in there. Um, yeah, so so that's that's us. Um, so I think we'll we'll continue on with uh, the rest of of our session. So back to you, Tom. Great, thank you very much, Andy. Um, yeah, someone was just asking as well about the the categories of the attributes. Um, so the two categories that are often used are incommunicable and communicable. And the idea of an incommunicable attribute is that it, it only belongs to God. And it's not something that as Christians and people, we should be growing in. Whereas a communicable attribute is this is true of God. And it should also be something that becomes increasingly true of us. So something like holiness or love would be communicable. It's true of God. And we should start to see those things in our own life. Whereas something like independence, not needing anyone or anything uh, at all is incommunicable because it's true of god but there's no sense that that should start becoming true of us that's the distinction that is sometimes made there i'm aware that so far in this session on god's character it's been like just a, an info blitz i've been giving you uh, loads of metaphors names and attributes and it's a lot of uh, just kind of bashing through content but what, what i want to do next is just kind of delve into to three particular questions around it that just um, get us thinking a little bit about who god is so uh, i'm going to give you a little question to reflect on to start back this uh, this last time uh, which is about the knowability of god so um there are uh, there's a question and sort of a a follow-up so the question is to what extent can any human really know what God is like and then uh, just think through what some uh, potential negative implications could be of different ways you might answer that so to what extent can any human really know what God is like and what are some of the dangers of the different answers that people might say all right let's um, let's go on then just thinking about that I, I, hopefully you started to um, see that you need to have two things that you you hold in tension uh, that God is knowable and that God is unknowable and uh, you need to uh, affirm both of those in some ways or another so um, you could say it like this we can know God truly but we can never know God fully so uh, in terms of not being able to know him fully you could look at for instance Psalm 147 verse 5 which says great is our lord and abundant in power his understanding is beyond measure and there's something there you can never fully grasp god yet he's also knowable uh, it says in colossians 1 uh, verses 9 and 10 so from the day we heard we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this is a prayer that we will know God. So you need to hold that we can never have a full handle 
on who God is, and yet we can truly know who God is. Both are important. If you miss the fact that God is unknowable in the in the broad sense of it, it would make God really small, wouldn't it? It would make if God is small enough that He can be contained in your mind. What sort of a God would He be? I don't think there's anybody, even like human, who I would say I know that person fully. You know, I think about uh, my wife. I, I met her eleven years ago. We've been married for nine years. But I'm finding every year, every day, I'm learning new things. There's always more, and I will be for the rest of my life. Well, how much more with God, who is uh, infinite, will there always be more? But what this does is it draws us into relationship, and it draws us into discovering and learning and delighting in new insights about him. It's not like a God's like a computer game. It's like, right, completed it. I know everything about God. I can move on. There's always more. So we, we need to have that sense that God is way bigger than we can ever grasp. But we need to also have a sense that God really is knowable and that what we know of God really is who God is. Because if, if we don't have this sense that we can know God, it undermines our confidence in everything we've discussed. Everything that God has shown us about himself, what is revealed to us in Scripture that we've seen, if we're like, oh, but we can't really know him, it just undermines any sense that we can trust that and that we can build our lives on it. There's always more to learn, but the things we learn will never contradict what we've already had revealed to us. It will deepen our knowledge for sure, but we can go to the bank with what God has shown us of himself. Let's look at the second of the, the questions. And if that's the knowability of God, uh, we can look at the consistency of God. Because uh, some people raise a question uh, about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and whether they are the same. And uh, what, what they would say is that uh, in the Old Testament, you've got this sense of like God smiting everything. And then you've got like... Um, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and they're like, is that really uh, the same or is there some kind of change? Now, one of the people who expresses this uh, view is Howard Jacobson. He says, the God of the Old Testament is wrathful, jealous, touchy, quick to judge, slow to forgive, and stylistically forthright, favouring plain speaking over parables. The God of the New Testament, as incarnated in Jesus Christ, is altogether a different kettle of fish, more our friend than our parent. And those whose parents have been their friends know where that leads. So I'm just going to get you just to think for a minute or two. What do you make of Jacobson's point and how would you respond to it? Good, Andy. What did you make of that quote? Um, I mean, I think my initial thought as soon as I read it was... Um you know, Jesus wasn't, I think he's got this very simplistic view of Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus did stand up to people and was straight with people and, you know, didn't hold back sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, and I think like we do see lots of the mercy of God in the Old Testament as mm. well. So I, I think you could just, it's very easy just to hone in on certain attributes in the old and yeah. new and make this kind mm. of like really big dichotomy. So I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I think he's ignored quite a few things in old and new. That's yes. my initial kind of thought. Yeah. That, that was exactly the same as my response to it. Like I, I read it and I thought, I don't think this guy has read the old Testament or the new Testament very carefully at all, because as you say, uh, the things that he's picked out uh, are not the full picture in either. Like the wrath of God is not limited to the old 
Testament. In fact, some of the most severe warnings of judgment in the Bible are found on the lips of Jesus. So uh, I'll give you an example. Matthew 18, uh, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame with two hands uh, or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. I mean, that's quite a stark warning of judgment. This paints, this is like the picture that Jacobson was suggested as the Old Testament God, but this is on the lips of Jesus. You see it in the epistles as well. Plenty of verses that talk about God's wrath and judgment. I mean, Romans 1 is an example of that. Or you can look at um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts where, where they lie to God and they fall down dead. Or think about Revelation. Like This is Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now these are verses about Jesus. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That doesn't sound like, oh, he's more friend than parent. This is the wrath of God in uh, full view in the New Testament. And, and as you say, Andy, we've already seen uh, in Exodus that we've looked at today, but in many other parts of the Old Testament, God's love and God's kindness shown. So Exodus 34, uh, we saw the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, you could look at um, the Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You could look at Isaiah 43, uh, you can look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord rejoices over us with singing. There are so many verses we could pick out. God's kindness and goodness and love shines through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's righteous judgment uh, and wrath is there running through both the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. God is truly consistent. And the Bible gives us this picture of him. Just going to look at one more uh, kind of question to, to reflect on about uh, the character of God then. And this is God's changeability. And particularly uh, when people raise the question, often they raise it around the issue of God changing his mind. And so that's what I want you to think about now. Again, I'll just give you uh, two or three minutes to, uh, to reflect on the idea of how do you feel about the concept of God changing his mind? And you may want to consider Exodus 32, verse 14, uh, to help you with it. Great. Let's, um, let's just chat about that. So the verse that I gave, uh, it might read slightly differently in different translations. Um, 
Andy, what translation do you have there? I've got the NIV, um, what, and it's uh, uh, chapter 32, verse 14. Is that right? That's the yeah, it's, it says this, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Yeah. I have the ESV, and it, it's similar. It uses this word relent. Um, some translations actually literally say, uh, God changed his mind, uh, which can pose a question for a lot of us. It's like, oh, I thought God already knew everything. I thought God was already perfectly wise. How can he change his mind uh, in that? And uh, as I've thought about it, I think the the big question that I've reflected on is, okay, well, what actually was it that changed? Is it something in God that changed? And I think the answer is clearly no. God wasn't wrong before. God wasn't unwise before. God wasn't um, misjudging the situation. God wasn't hasty before. He hasn't changed. What's changed is the situation. So previously, uh, before uh, this verse, you had uh, the people of Israel had turned from God uh, and, and kind of worshipped this golden calf that we talked about. And that was all that there was in the situation. Now we've got the situation where the people have still done that, but you have Moses who's standing up and he's making a case and he's pleading. And that's a whole different situation. So God's response to situation one, which was just the golden calf, was right, I'm going to bring judgment. But God's response to golden calf plus petition from Moses, that changes the dynamics. So God was always knowing and always wise, who always knew that would be his course of action, that Moses will rise up. And through Moses, I'm going to let that be the vehicle by which I um, avert disaster to them. And I think I find that really encouraging, really encouraging when I think about prayer. And when I think about the fact that, look, God already knows exactly what he's going to do. And yet God loves to use the pleas and the petitions of people to bring things about. And that when I go to him to know that that will be something that God's ordained and chosen and wants to use in his sovereign goodness to bring about his purposes. So uh, hopefully that little reflection on it uh, just just helps them. Um, the last place I wanted to go, and I'm not going to spend long here, because uh, Andrew touched on it last month, is, is this idea of being in God's image. So if we're talking about the character of God and what God is like, Andrew rightly said that uh, the doctrine of humanity and what we are like just sit side by side. And these topics need to be discussed together because we are made to be like God. So talking about what God is like means we need to think about how that affects us um, and one of the verses that that was shared with you last month was genesis 5 verse 1 which talks about seth uh, this is adam's son and I, let, let me just um, get that verse and i'll read it and to bring it fresh to the mind genesis 5 verse 1 this is the book of the generations of adam when god created man he made him in the likeness of god and then we'll go on from there. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So the idea is just as Adam is in God's image, so Seth is in Adam's image. And you wouldn't say, OK, what is the one thing about Adam that Seth resembled, that's not what it's like for a son to be in his father's image. What it means is when you look at Seth, 
in many ways in um, maybe his build, his hair, his facial structure, his mannerisms, the way he speaks, uh, the way he thinks. You see things that remind you of his dad. That's what it's like for a son to be in his father's image. And I think the way the consistency is used is saying when you look at humanity, you'll see things in many ways that reflect the character of God. That's what it is to be in God's image. So all these things we've discussed, all these attributes of God, all these likenesses, to be in God's image, we'll see these to an extent reflected in our lives. So that's true for us as humans made in God's image. Uh, it's even more true for us as Christians who are remade in the image of Christ. So Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So as Christians, we have been predestined, we've been justified. And, and the idea is that we'll be conformed and we'll start to look like Jesus. And Jesus obviously uh, has the character of God. Oh, Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new self that we're to wear as Christians is in God's likeness. So all of this reflection on what God is like, it's helpful for knowing him that this is what he's like, but it's also helpful in thinking about our own lives and starting to mirror these characteristics. So um, yeah, I've, I've got one more set of reflecting for you to do. I'll give you um, kind of five minutes or so, and then we'll hand over to Andy, who will wrap up and we should be done by 12. So um, just three things for you to do, two questions and then uh, an instruction. So questions are, what aspects of God's character have you tended to dwell on most? And are there any that you hadn't considered before today? That's question one. Question two is, are there any of God's attributes that you struggle with? And why do you think this is? And then just having reflected on that, why not just take a couple of minutes and just praise God for who he is? So let, yeah, let's just do that for five minutes or so. Yeah, by struggle, uh, someone's asking, uh, we, we're just talking about anything that when you hear God's like that, you think, oh, really? It just makes you... Uh, reflect or think or uh, wasn't quite what you might have thought and that you need to um, just try to get your head around it maybe um, yeah something like that yeah I love that idea that um, someone's mentioned God allowing us to remind him that's brilliant yeah yeah it's a good phrase cool I am gonna um, I'm gonna pray and just wrap some of this up and then I'll hand back to you Andy Lord, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself. God, thank you that we're not in the dark guessing what you're like, but you've given us your word and you've shown us uh, in the face of Christ that this is who you are. Thank you for the story of the Exodus, Lord, that we uh, looked at this morning. Thank you that you're a God who rescues, a God who provides, a God who makes covenant, and a God who dwells with his people. Thank you for who you are, for every attribute of your being. And Lord, thank you that you've made us in a way that we share in your image. Lord, I pray that as we live our lives for you, we grow in knowledge of you. We grow in love for you, for who you are. And Lord, I pray that uh, the world may know who, something of who you are through the way we live to your glory. Amen. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. That was 
that was great. Um, yeah, so I've just I just wondered, Tom, if there's a few. We've got a few questions mm. in Q and A. I was just wondering if you could um, pick up a, a few of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we've mentioned the Book of Attributes um, is in uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic mm-hmm. Theology. Um, and yeah, we've, we've just had a few people asking about, does God, um, does he forget? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also, does he regret uh, when he changes his mind? So kind of regret mm-hmm. and forgetfulness, these two words, people have been yeah. thrown in. What's your take on that? Um, uh, yeah, forgetfulness, I mean we've got to be careful what we mean by it haven't we so um if we're saying that god was no longer aware of the fact that i think that would be quite a a problematic idea um god is omniscient god knows everything uh so i think when we're talking about god's forgetfulness it's god choosing not to dwell on god choosing not to bring to mind um yeah so I mean, talking about God forgetting our sins. I don't think, I don't think it means God's like, oh, what, what, you, you once sinned. I didn't know that. It's, it's saying, no, I'm choosing to look at you now in disregard of the fact that there is sin because that has been wiped away. That's been good. Yeah, I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, God forgetting, um, and then God regretting. Um, yeah, I don't think we would say that God regrets anything of his own character i don't think he'd regret uh, the fact that he makes certain choices because they are the the right choices given the circumstances um, he may regret the need to make a choice i think regretting the fact that um that he needs to judge uh, it's not because judgment is wrong it's that um that there shouldn't have been sin and evil in the first place. Um, so you can say, I regret it, but it's still right. It's, it's where you where you view the regret, really. Um, so regret, regretting having to act in a certain way, but not regretting actually acting in that way because it's right. Um, I think that's a helpful distinction that's yeah. in my mind. Um, yeah. yeah, that's helpful, Tom. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, yeah, we just, um, we've got another question just about jealousy uh, being an yeah. attribute of God that someone said, look, that's, that's new to me. Yeah. Um, do you just want to tease out? I know you kind of mentioned it earlier about like yeah. the, the, the different aspects of jealousy. Do you want to just explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, for, for an illustration, take like a, a married couple. Um, and let's say uh, the wife starts to get uh, a lot of attention from another bloke and you know he's always messaging her and complimenting her and um kind of smiling at her and clearly he's showing her a lot of interest what would be the appropriate response of the husband to that situation um now if the if the husband was just kind of shrugging his shoulders indifferently and thinking this doesn't really matter you'd look at him and think there's something wrong with that. That isn't an appropriate response. When you've got this covenant relationship, it should bother you. And um, for him to, to rightly say, no, I actually, you know, I love you and uh, I want this relationship with you. Uh, it bothers me the, the idea that someone else is um, doing this. That is the correct 
response. And uh, for God and his people, uh, the same thing can be true. You know, God has made covenant with us. We've made covenant with him. And when we're kind of seduced away by other gods and other idols and things we might worship, that bothers him. And um, rightly so. It shows he cares and it shows he values the relationship that he has with us. Um, yeah. Great. That's helpful, Tom. I think that illustration is really helpful. Um, yeah. You know, that God is jealous in that sense of when, yeah, our hearts go after other things because yeah. he, he wants us to be in relationship with him. Um, uh, so, Tom, one final question. Um, it's a really easy one, Tom. Uh, <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, it's um, so it's, um, if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then did he not cause some of the suffering that, that, that he then saved the Israelites from? Okay, so it's not such a hard, easy one, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, the passage says that. So did he cause some of the suffering? Um, well, the suffering was already in place way before Moses went to Pharaoh. Um, this happened, um, I, I'm not sure it says about hardening heart before there was any suffering. Um, let me correct me if I'm wrong. Some, yeah, it, it doesn't seem to say that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart before he started um, oppressing Israel. It seems to be uh, a hardening of his heart in response to uh, the showdown with Moses. I, I mean, the way, the way I think of it, given that you've got these dual things, a Pharaoh hardening his own heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart, I'd ask the question, what does it mean for God to harden his heart? And how did God do it? And I think the way God hardened his heart was through this revelation of himself. So God showed himself as powerful. And the effects of that was the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So I, I would tend to see it as though I've heard the phrase, it's the same sun that melts the ice will harden the clay. And when God reveals himself, sometimes that has this effect of like just melting our hearts and causing worship. And sometimes it will harden and cause people to be more resistant and more entrenched in opposition. And I think that's the, the mechanism. That's the way um, it was happening. As God was showing himself as powerful and supreme through these plagues, that was the, the way that Pharaoh's heart was being hardened by him. Great. That's helpful, Tom. Yeah, helpful illustration there. This same God who kind of melts the ice, hardens the clay. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Tom, thank you so much uh, for today. Yes. It's been great um, going through Exodus and, and just looking at the character of God. I mean, that list is fantastic really 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 good to go through that that list and and just to to think about that yeah we've got lots of messages coming in fab tom thank you so i think people are applauding you tom even though you can't see them or hear them um they're kind of uh, applauding so no it's been really really helpful uh, thank you for for that um so we're we're basically finished for today we finished slightly early um but that's never a bad thing uh, i hope you've enjoyed uh, the session uh, today um, we're going to, our next School of Theology uh, morning is on Saturday, the 25th of April. Um, we're definitely going to do that session, uh, whether it is in person or whether it is like this on Zoom is basically up to the government and the spread of coronavirus. So I will be emailing out, I mean, it seems likely that it will probably be on Zoom just like this. Um, but I'll, I'll email you out closer to the time to let you know. We're going to have Matt Fell join us, and uh, he's going to be looking at Leviticus uh, to Deuteronomy. Um, 
Leviticus right through to Deuteronomy. And then he's going uh, to look at the topic of sin, really. So uh, we've got Leviticus through to Deuteronomy and sin. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting. So that's the 25th of, of April, same time, nine o'clock on Zoom, if nothing else changes. Um, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, the other thing I thought I'll just mention as we finish, just as we were chatting there, is that um, I know that churches are kind of all in the same boat right now in the sense that there's all these announcements against social gatherings and all churches this week have been trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? How do we, how do we connect with people this week, particularly on a Sunday morning when we normally have our church service? I know a number of churches are figuring out different ways of doing that. Some churches haven't quite figured that out yet because it's only been a few days. So if you go to a church that isn't CCM, Christchurch Manchester, which is the church Tom and I go to, um, uh, and, uh, and your church doesn't have a provision for something tomorrow or something's on, you'd be very welcome to, to join us. We can send you the link. Tom and I are going to run a service tomorrow morning, um, CCM Kingsway service at 10 a.m. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send you the link for that on our School of Theology thing. Um, I know we all go to different churches, but we just want to offer that out so that if you just want to connect with church and um, hear a preach, have some discussion, meet with other believers, uh, we want to offer that to you. Um, so yeah, so it's 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'll send you out the link just after that. And it's going to be exactly the same format as this. Um, you just click on the link in attendees and Tom and I will be chatting like this. Tom's going to preach. I'm going to host. We're going to have someone else on as well. Um, so that will be, that will be tomorrow. But apart from that, um, we are finished. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, social isolating and all the things, amazing things that we're, we're doing with the coronavirus. Um, little tip as we go, right? Here's a little tip. If you're struggling to buy stuff, this is what I found this week is, um, number one, try and find out when the delivery is coming in for a supermarket. Um, but if that doesn't work, I found that um, chatting to the, the checkout assistants is really helpful because most checkout assistants have this big pile of things they've confiscated off people in the shops because they've tried to buy too many. Just have a look over their shoulders, see what's in there, because normally you can get some things that you may need in there. I've got some toilet tissue um, this week from, from doing just that. So that's a little tip. Um, on, uh, on getting stuff, really. Although pasta, I have no idea how to get pasta. I am all at sea for that. So if anyone knows where to get pasta, let me know, please. But um, stay safe. Look forward to seeing you next time at School of Theology in a month. And um, yeah, I know Tom's prayed. I'm just going to pray uh, for God's blessing on us uh, just again as we, as, we, as we go. Father, thank you for just this amazing look at your character today. Yeah, it, words can't really describe how amazing you are, Lord. We've had a look at a ton of words that try and describe you, Lord. But you're you're amazing. You're um, yeah, you're just awesome, Lord. You're fantastic, and Lord, you're the God that we worship. You're the God that we live for. You're the God that we love. Uh, and Lord, we um, yeah, we're just reminded about the fact that you're in control, Lord. You're in totally control. Um, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on in this world, you're in control. Um, and you work all things for good, Lord. We're your people, and we trust in you, Father. So bless us this, this week and this month as we continue to, to live for you and share you in these, in these uncertain times, Lord. Um, so Lord, I pray for peace for all of us. I pray that you would strengthen our faith and just strengthen how much we know we are loved by you, Father. Amen.